a group of spiritually broken individuals suffering from deep existential challenges meet at a trailhead. Currently entirely unsure of what to make of their existence, they enter the trails in search of something, anything. In the trails, they lose their deep challenges by traveling through the mud, in between the trees, over the rocks and tree branches. Numerous hours later, they realized their existence was meant to climb the mounds of opportunities, hills, and to play with their feet on the descents. It is a simplistic yet incredibly powerful way of how they find their body's purpose. By traveling through the tremendous nature, they realize all human beings are intended to experience. They no longer feel broken, and they find the deepest wellness imaginable. This changes their lives forever. From the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, you'll find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Trail Tales ARP. Sean Sobon and Russell the Runner are with you here today. And uh, it's been it's been a great um, great week here for running for myself and I know Russell's been doing a lot of training he's got a big event coming up on Saturday and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit but before we get into all that stuff we've got a great guest with us here we've got Kip Arledge and he is the Bruce Trail fastest known time record holder uh, did it in nine days three hours and 27 minutes which is absolutely insane Kip welcome to the show oh thanks for having me Obviously, it's it's a tremendous pleasure to have you on the show, Kip. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, so to, to start off the show, uh, why don't you tell us about your background as a runner from the beginning? From the beginning, eh? Do you have all night? Yeah, all night would be great. <laughs> Just kidding. So I'll give you the condensed version. Um, I ran track and cross country in Huntsville growing up in high school. I uh, had some great mentorship there and uh, decided I'd take my shot at doing uh, cross country and track at university. So I went to Queen's University, raced there for uh, four or five years. I was primarily a middle distance runner and the indoor track distances are a little weird, but my specialty was the 600 meter. And then I dabbled in cross country too. I was kind of a middle of the pack guy uh, and that was the 10K distance. Um, so after university, but also during university, I've had a passion for really weird, silly adventures to kind of push myself. And I will often go out and run uh, crazy distances that I have no business actually doing. So I'm curious because you mentioned that you specialized in the 600 meter distance, which is obviously phenomenally different than ultra marathoning. But so I'm curious, what was your PR for 600 meters, which is a unique distance? 
You know what? I wouldn't be able to tell you. I don't know. I was um, <clears throat> a middle of the pack university level runner. Um, I was qualified for the provincial championships once or twice, but no, no more than that. Also, clearly that right there is a phenomenal achievement to, to qualify the, for the provincial championships. And so I remember you telling me that your first ultra marathon was at the age of 14 and that it was a 50K. How did you learn about ultra marathoning at such a young age? And what made you want to run so far so young? I don't know the exact age. It might have been a little bit older than 14, but it was in. I believe you told school. me 14. Well, I'm full of lies. You shouldn't talk, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, mid high school, one of my friends um, and I were just getting into running. We were training a lot. And I had this weird thing where um, every once in a while I would try to double the previous furthest run I had done. So it started with, you know, a 5k and then a 10k. And uh, one summer, my friend and I decided to run from Huntsville to Gravenhurst, which was approximately 53k away on a brutal hot uh, summer day. And it was quite the adventure. We really pushed ourselves. We learned a lot and it was incredibly slow, but that was probably uh, the way I dipped my toe into the, the ultra running world. And so I know that you're, you hold the course record at the Limberlost 56K challenge and that you had, and that you won at that race back-to-back -back years, 2018 and 2019. So you mentioned this first ultra marathon, which was quite slow, but so clearly you became quite fast once you were in your mid twenties to hold the course record at Limberlost. How did you, uh, over the years, how did you, uh, progress in terms of Im improving your speed and 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 achieving that fantastic accomplishment at Limberlost? Well, I would say that uh, five years of doing varsity running really improved my uh, abilities and my athleticism. It was a really great training environment where you're surrounded by 20 plus guys who are all uh, really focused and of a similar ability level. And that really pushed me and we kind of collectively worked together to gaining all sorts of fitness. I hadn't really applied it to uh, races outside of university or trail runs until uh, trying out the Limberlost Challenge. Uh, it's really local for me. I do a lot of my training runs there and uh, the stars kind of aligned with my new interest in trail running and my carryover fitness from a couple of years of running for Queens. And so that's amazing. And so I know uh, amongst those achievements at Limberlost, which are phenomenal to begin with, but even more phenomenal, you have the course record at the Halliburton 100 miler in which I believe it was about 15 and a half hours. Yes, definitely was about 15 and a half hours that you were able to run the Halliburton 100 miler. How did you progress from Limberlost is about 35 miles or 56K? to be able to run a hundred miles so efficiently? So I had no business running a hundred miles. Um, again, that was one of the kind of fun challenges that I had uh, tried out. So I had done a couple long runs in Algonquin Park, some self-supported stuff in the 80 kilometer range. I had also done some uh, basically road ultras in the 100k range but i had no idea uh, if i was going to be able to run 100 miles and what that would look like um, the stars kind of aligned on that day i went out with the leaders of the 50 mile race and was able to bandage and duct tape myself together and keep up that pace for the second half of the race as well and so I, I know there's something to be said for just trying new things and not taking yourself too seriously. Um, that's been my approach to, to running in general. In which that's a fantastic approach. Just go with the flow and see what happens. I know, I know you had mentioned to me that it's well within your wheelhouse to run a hundred kilometers in about, I think it was eight and a half or nine hours. Uh, I think it was, I think it was eight and a half hours. So once you achieve that, 
that must have helped to give you the confidence because clearly you had the business of running 100 miles. Um, and that, so achieving that running 100 kilometers at such a fast clip, that must have given you the confidence that you could do well at 100 miles, correct? Yeah, and I'm not pretending that I came straight off the couch and did that. Um, your <laughs> training load and your, you know, I tend to have a pretty decent sense of where I'm at for fitness at any given time. Um, but there's a lot of things that can go wrong over 15 plus hours, right? Um, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to think of, you know, ways you can really uh, compromise a run of that kind of distance. So there's a certain amount of luck to it. And um, you can train and prepare all you want. But at a certain time, you just have to, you have to give it a try and approach it with an open mind. And if it works out, that's great. And if it is a disaster, then you reevaluate and you move on and you try it again another time. Also, that says a lot about you right there, Kip, that you you keep it very in the middle ground in terms of just approaching it objectively and and however it turns out is is definitely a good way of approaching it. And clearly it's it's resulted in you having all sorts of success by not taking it too seriously. So let's jump into your major I, I like to call it life project. Um, I, I view ultra marathons as life journeys personally. And so clearly, as Sean mentioned, um, to, to be exact, it's the Bruce Trail FKT men's record in which for anyone who isn't aware, the Bruce Trail is 900 kilometers long, ranging from the most Northern point in Tobermory to the most Southern point in Niagara and Kip had the superhuman achievement, like Sean said, of, of completing the entire trail in nine days, three hours, and, and about 30 minutes. So let's, let's jump on into that, Kip. So how did, first off, how did you decide to take on the Bruce Trail FKT Challenge? Uh, I can credit COVID with that, probably. Um, I came off of... In 2019, a really solid set of races at Limberlost and at Halliburton. And as the world kind of melted down and we were all sitting around in March of 2020 looking for something to do, um, I had access to the Bruce Trail and was hiking a little bit around the Collingwood area and thought, hey, you know, this might be a good excuse to go and give something like this a try. Um, the idea kind of stopped there and I got sidetracked and had other projects for that summer but kind of revisited it um the following summer so 2021 and i would not recommend that to anyone i learned so much um and i think a shorter like two three day type multi-day run would have served me really well and probably saved me a lot of time that's just the kind of the approach i took to it was there's a lot of uncertainty and uh, I knew I was going to learn a lot of way along the way, and I knew it wasn't going to be perfect, but the the adventure of it was uh, alluring enough that I decided to give it a try anyway. It makes perfect sense. I can I could see the allure of it. It's it's wanting to push those human boundaries and and see what you're physically and mentally capable of, in which clearly your your performance throughout the track shows uh, how how superhuman you are, Kip. So I mean, how long did it take for you to think about taking, like, how long did it take for, how long were you thinking about taking on this challenge? Well, I was running consistently at that point for like seven, eight years, um, and always just kind of moving from one race to the next. Um, I, again, played around with this idea in March of 2020, but didn't actually start uh, formally training or doing any logistics planning until probably uh, that fall. That fall, I uh, set aside a week of my life um, when I had some time off of work and told myself I was going to run 100K every day for five days straight just to see what that was like in preparation for the Bruce Trail. I got maybe two hours into that and just mentally couldn't handle the uh, anticipation of that load and that kind of commitment for five days straight. So I kind of panicked, put that project on the back burner and didn't touch it again until 
uh, this start of 2020. So my real lead up, although I was running lots, uh, the real focused stuff only lasted for maybe two or three months prior to prior to the run. Fascinating. And so, I mean, you had that, you know, so you had that five day, 100 kilometers per day project and the setback from that, but then you still were able to find the faith later on in yourself to take on uh, as big of a challenge in the burst trail. How, how did you re regain that belief after that setback? Uh, a variety of mental tricks. Uh, the biggest one was probably the sunken cost fallacy. So if you put enough time and resources into something, even if it's ultimately futile, you tend to stick with it longer. And that's kind of an economics principle, but it really transfers into your everyday life too. So if you're putting in multiple, you know, 100 mile weeks, it's a lot harder to quit on something than if you put in no effort and you haven't put any resources or time into a project. And I've, that actually, that same mentality served me really well on the trail. So I certainly had doubts about um, wanting to complete the trail and whether or not um, it was worth continuing on the first few days. Uh, it is ultimately a very selfish and uh, expensive from a monetary standpoint and socially standpoint uh, endeavor doing something like this, committing nine days of your life, using all your vacation to go on a run. Um, but after the first few days, I had dumped enough effort and pain and resources into it that mentally those doubts started to go away. And I could a lot, I could justify continuing a lot easier on days four and five than I could on days one and two. It makes perfect sense because at the beginning, it's obviously, I mean, it must, I mean, no matter how much you break it down into micro chunks, it must be overwhelming in those early days to know what's ahead of you. Absolutely. When you're 10 kilometers in and you have 900 to go, um, it's pretty daunting. And like you said, all you can do is kind of break it down day to day um, and rely I relied heavily on my support team to push me through both physically and mentally. In which, so I, that's, that was actually going to be my next question. So how many crew members did you have supporting you along the entire FKT? Uh, so my approach was much different than the other people who had run it previously and the people who have run it since. Um, Again, you'll see this repeating pattern of my my approach being a little bit chaotic and unorganized. Um, so I decided to go with two full-time support members. So two friends uh, from university accompanied me the entire way. And we basically loaded up um, one of their grandmother's minivans to the roof with gear. And we were camping on the side of the road and we were um, just kind of bubbling our way along the trail, which is a little bit uh, funny when contrasted with the very well organized and well resourced attempts that uh, kind of sandwiched mine. But my support crew was absolutely phenomenal. We were all very uh, taxed by the end of it. None of us were sleeping a lot. And we were also supported by um, some other friends who would come in for a day or two at a time. Uh, a funny thing happened about halfway through, um, maybe three or four days in, we realized that we were super under-resourced. Um, my support crew was getting the same amount of sleep or less than I was. Um, we were making silly mistakes. We were all grumpy at each other. And um, we actually, there was a second runner, Steve Kenny, doing the run at the same time in the opposite direction. So we crossed paths in your own sound and my support crew kind of exchanged contact information, his crew. And through that, we were able to leverage um, some local ultra runners through the Collingwood area and through Southern Ontario. And that really brought a new uh, level of energy and organization and fun to the trip. You know, it was, it was a lot easier for me psychologically to talk to someone brand new have a really easy conversation you know who are you what do you do that kind of stuff 
then try to think of new things to say to someone who you've shared a smelly tent with the last three days. Right? That's interesting. You mentioned Steve Kenny. I actually had him on the show last summer. We talked about his, uh, his run that he had done, yeah. I guess the one that you had mentioned that you had met him on there. So we, we talked all about that. It's really cool. Steve's a great guy. Oh, and he and I have uh, texted back and forth a little bit since, and it, it's been really cool to be supported and kind of integrated into that ultra running community a little bit. Yeah, it's really neat. One of the, one of the things I've been up to lately has uh, been can across running. So it's, it's cross country running with dogs. So that they're hooked up to harness. It's just like a sled dog would be, but you're running with them instead of having them pull you on a sled. So it's really so cool. The running equivalent of scajoring. Pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Run joring, if you want to call it. But <laughs> anyways, uh, Steve reached out to me last, uh, must've been in the fall and, uh, he came out and tried it and cause he's got a dog now. So he's been, he's been doing that too, which is really cool. But, um, you know, you mentioned you're kind of, you're planning for this was kind of like chaotic and whatnot when you're heading out there and that's right up my alley. But I wanted to ask, um, did you ever get to a point, maybe not in the, maybe in the first few days or maybe day three or four, where you felt like, man, this ship is sinking, but you know what, like I'm in for a penny in for a pound. So I'm going to, I'm going down with the ship. Like, did you ever get to that point where you felt like, I don't care what happens. I'm just going to keep moving. Like, like well, like, exactly. That's kind of where the, the self doubt goes away, right? Like you've already yeah. sunk so much into this and the only feasible way is forward. Um, I really fell apart physically after Collingwood. So day four or five, um, my pace really slowed my lower body so my ankles and calves were quite swollen and my ability to run was almost gone overnight um, so before whereas i could uh, run on the non-technical and road sections um, i was more or less head down marching with poles uh, for the last three or four days and that was quite the miserable grind um, but you're right once you're once you're that invested and once you've already gone through so much mentally and physically and put your teammates through so much um you can justify moving forward a little bit a little bit easier regardless of the outcome i guess right you're not even thinking about that at that point you're just probably in the moment yeah and my philosophy going into it was that i was going to push myself as hard as I could and find where my physical and mental limits were. And that was certainly accomplished. Um, I probably, from a pacing standpoint, overdid it and didn't rest enough. Um, and that, that probably cost me several hours of, of run time. But I'm glad, I'm glad to have found those limits and explored them rather than running the perfect uh, event where you know, I, I never really figured out where that knife's edge was. Makes yeah. perfect sense. So I wanted to ask on, on the first few days, were, were you being quite conservative or were you trying to be more efficient in order to, uh, in order to build a lead on the FKT in terms of mileage? How did that look where, yeah, in terms of your effort level on the first few days? So the goal was to run 100K a day. Um, one, because that was roughly what was required to um, set the FKT, and two, because it was a beautiful sure. round number that sounds really badass. Um, so it, it's funny. So um, Karen Holland, who beat my record uh, in yes. September, had a completely different approach, and the contrast between the two was quite interesting. So um, knowing nothing about multi-day runs, my thoughts going into it were that I would um, minimize the joint stress on my body by trying to go as slow as I could for that 100 mile or the 100K a day while still allowing myself, you know, somewhere between five and three hours of sleep a night. I figured that was the minimum I would need to uh, be able to get it up and do it again the next day. So I was quite conservative in my pacing um, for that reason. And it didn't help me at all. So I still hit that wall on like day five where I could not physically run regardless of what I wanted to do. It was just more efficient to, um, to hike 
you know, you'd, you'd put in 80% extra effort to gain 5% of speed if you were to try to run. So it just became more efficient to head down and hike, which, and ultimately a better one. She would travel at a faster, more comfortable pace, but then also get more rest and be better positioned the next day to uh, repeat the process without that intense sleep deprivation that I was suffering towards the end of my run. Did you speak with Karen before her FKT attempt? Did you provide her with advice or any anything? Yeah, just consultation on on her FKT and 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 did you support her at all during her FKT and um and and were you there at the finish for her as well? Because she went sub nine days, which was so phenomenal. And I remember reading in an article that you mentioned that you believed sub nine was possible. So for her to actually achieve that, you must have been, uh, it must have been uh, just absolutely unworldly to see Kip. Yeah, um, my goal was also to go sub, go, uh, sub nine days. I really felt okay. apart in the last 12, 18 hours, and it was in reach uh, for me up until then. But yeah, Karen and I connected um, through some of our uh, people that I met on the, on the run. And we talked both before her attempt, I told her everything I knew and gave her all sorts of questionable advice. And then um, we met up when she was passing through Collingwood and I was able to ball athlete and I was really impressed by uh, her resilience to injury. She was able to run uh, pretty much her entire trip. And she was also incredibly well organized and had a huge uh, support base who were really enthusiastic and it was logistically uh, quite beautiful compared to my attempt. Well, so clearly you, you say that Karen is a phenomenal athlete in which clearly she absolutely is, but so are you, Kip. You're a phenomenal athlete as well, of course. You you finished the same distance and in nearly the same time that, that Karen did. So it, it's absolutely phenomenal. I So in terms of my next question, so can you tell us about specifically some of your deepest lows and how you were able to push through them successfully. I, I remember that there was a lot of rain, I believe it was on day seven. And so how, how did you find the mental strength to fight through that when you must have been physically and mentally beyond exhausted? So I'm going to take very little credit for that. Um, basically, my teammates were dealing with a wet angry belligerent toddler and they were dragging me through um, from checkpoint to checkpoint at that point I had a pacer for the um, all of the segments but you're right we hit um, probably 24 36 hours of intense rain in the Hamilton region and that really um, took a blow to my morale and the morale of the of the group um, however Again, we had some, some fresh faces mixed in there. Uh, we had a, a strong connection to the, the Hamilton running community. And you know what? I had strangers show up and uh, pace me from eight o'clock at night until three o'clock in the morning in the pissing rain. Uh, and they were absolutely awesome to me and um, were able to drag me kicking and screaming along the way. Um, one fun little thing that happened was the rain was really uh, damaging my feet because I don't know if you run with wet feet for hours on end, but it's not a fun time. Uh, your skin breaks down and uh, that can be incredibly painful. So I had, not only was I leaning on my support team to uh, navigate and pace me through, but I was also having people, you know, run to the department store and buy new dry socks and just the logistics of keeping things charged and dry uh, after that much rain was an incredible accomplishment on their end. My biggest thing was sleep deprivation. Um, as I said, I started off with the grand ambition of getting five hours a night of sleep. That was achieved for the first three days approximately but then as I slowed down uh, in order to keep that 100k a day pacing I was cutting sleep 
So that cut to maybe three hours of sleep for the middle section of the trip. And then towards the end, I was getting a combined maybe 90 minutes of sleep where I would hike along, uh, become uncontrollably tired, flop over on the side of the trail, ask my pacer to set a stopwatch for five to 10 minutes, uh, sleep. It was easy to get to sleep. Uh, and then they'd kind of prod me back onto my feet at the end of that five, 10 minutes. And I'd keep going for another hour or two until the caffeine wore off again. But I was a little bit concerned I might overdo it with the caffeine, but uh, I, I managed that okay. Wow. Did you, uh, did you experience any point in your run uh, with the sleep deprivation, any hallucinations or anything like that? I've heard of stories of people thinking they see like little Martians, but it turns out to be a rock or something. It's just... You know what? I wish I had um, a bunch of entertaining stories to yeah. to tell you about that. I I had also read the same thing and heard stories of these grandly entertaining hallucinations, but I did not experience any for better or for worse. Maybe next time. Just, maybe next time. So there there's a chance there might be a next time. Eh? Hopefully next time. So Kip, when you would flop over in the middle of the trail and take those power naps. How much effort would it take you to physically get back up after you've run probably over 800 kilometers? How, how did you even like get up and continue to walk? Like, did your body go through any seizing up or those types of uh, just seizing of the muscles where like- So it, it, I had, I, I seized up once really bad um and so at which point was that it was on the last night yeah so we were maybe 50k from the finish line it was eight in the afternoon i had been walking and hiking with a little bit of jogging mixed in for you know close to 20 hours at that point and was just completely dead it was super hot and i decided i needed to rest so i uh, slept in the back of the minivan for about 90 minutes and it was the longest block of sleep I had had for a while and got up it was roughly midnight by this point maybe a little bit earlier and the goal was to push through until until we reached the finish line and the first hour of that last leg I could barely walk like I was fully leaning on my poles and I was terrified because I had probably close to 20 hours to cover 40 kilometers um, worth of distance in order to still get the record. But I physically could not move quickly enough. And eventually uh, the season kind of wore off and I was able to get back into a faster walk. But there was, there was a terrifying hour or two in there where I just physically could not move at faster than a, a slow walking pace. So that was, the, that was the seizing that really was terrifying. Waking up from my power naps, as you'll call them, crack naps, as I called them at the time, uh, tended to be really easy because I found that regardless of how much caffeine I was taking, I would hit a point where I was just uncontrollably tired. And just that 10, five, 10 minutes of sleep uh, would, I guess, raise the energy threshold in me enough for the caffeine to kick back in. So I'd often wake up from those naps feeling better than, than I went to, went into them feeling, which was, I guess, the whole point of them. It makes sense. When you say a slow walk, I mean, is that 15 minute kilometers? What is that looking like? Like with the muscles, they must be seized, like, with this, like you mentioned that you had a season when there's 50 kilometers to go. And so slow walking, is that 15 minute kilometers? So, so what, what did that look like exactly in terms of the pace? So I used to know all these numbers. Um, I clearly don't anymore, but if you, if you run the math, I think all you need to do is average about 12 minute Ks to cover hundred K in a day. Um, quite easily with a little bit of sleep mixed in there. 
um, which doesn't seem like a lot on paper. And that was why I wanted to take the approach of uh, traveling slowly in order to conserve uh, and prevent injuries. Um, when I was really seized up, it was probably closer to 20 minute case. Yeah, that one day I was like embarrassingly slow. Yeah. But eventually you still I still had the wherewithal to move forward. But obviously at that point, you're so, I mean, 50 kilometers is far for, for some people, but obviously after you've run over 800 kilometers, you're incredibly close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it felt close anyway. And so what did your nutrition look like throughout the FKT? I know when I spoke to John Pockler, for example, he was able to eat quite a few burgers. Yeah, so again, this is where some kind of test event would have really benefited from me or benefited me. But um, I went into it with the plan to fuel like I would a hard 100K or a hard 100 mile where your heart rate is so high that um, you really can't digest complex foods and it's really efficient to just eat and run at the same time. And I tried that for the first day or two of the run uh, on the Bruce Trail. However, I found that I was just becoming really nauseous. The simple sugars hour after hour after hour weren't uh, cooperating with me. So we eventually we just pivoted um, and I would sit in a folding chair by the van every, you know, five, 10, 20 clicks and eat while I was sitting, resting, rehydrating while my pacers were switching out and figuring out where the next rest stop would be. I would just power down maybe a full sandwich. Um, my big thing was actually pierogies. For whatever reason, I had a big craving for pierogies and I think I was powered exclusively on pierogies for the middle section of the trip. Turns out dipping them in guacamole was really uh, beneficial at helping me get them down. But just, just the variety of food and it was, yeah, I, I could eat all sorts of things. And again, that came down to my um, really well-organized race crew who can anticipate uh, what I would need and could you know, force me to get some calories down at every stop. Here's, here's the million dollar question, Kip. What was stuffed in the pierogies? You know what? I probably couldn't tell you. I was, I was too focused <laughs> on slathering them in guacamole. Um, one, of the, one of the fun nutritional things we did, um, and again, this ties into my approach of not taking anything too seriously. Uh, I would try to do one like strange, fun thing every day. Um, just to keep things light and interesting. So I don't know if you've covered this on your podcast before, but you certainly should. There's a race in Kingston called the Highway 2 McDonald's Challenge. And it is the most prestigious race of the university running calendar. It occurs after uh, the OUA track events are finished in the spring. And basically it's a race where you run approximately four kilometers from the Queens University campus to the Highway to McDonald's. You eat a double Big Mac, large fries, large Coke, and the first guy back wins. Uh, if you throw up, you have to do a penalty lap. It's this big elaborate event. Uh, sometimes other universities like McMaster will come down and challenge for a team title. But long story short, uh, at about the halfway point, which would have been day five or so in Collingwood, um, one of my Queens friends and I sat down and ate a double Big Mac, large fries, large Coke halfway through the day, just to, to pay homage to that and to remind ourselves that, hey, the reason we're doing this is to see where my limits are at and maybe have a little bit of fun along the way. Um, so nutritionally, we didn't take it too seriously, um, again, which kind of fits into the theme of it. How, how, uh, how good was that meal when you were eating it? Or was it gross for you at that point? <laughs> well, it, it's pretty gross. Um, although it's a lot less gross when you do it as an ultra because your heart rate is much lower. Um, again, you can imagine being in a pack of 20, 30 really fit university level runners and you're all running three minute kilometers uphill to the McDonald's. 
you get there and you try to eat quickly and it, you just want to gag. So it was, it was a little bit nicer on the, uh, the ultra marathon version of it for sure. Nicely done. That, that's a really cool story, by the way. I like that tradition. Thanks for sharing. That, that. is, yes, that is absolutely amazing. <laughs> McDonald's after 407 kilometers. Why not? So, I mean, did you, I, I hope not, but it, it sounds like you didn't. Did you have any GI issues throughout the FKT? Uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't have any major GI issues. No, which was fortunate. My issues were more swelling and mobility issues. Because again, the intensity level was so low that um, it was kind of gentle in the GI system. That makes sense. I know I've I've had a couple and a couple ultras GI issues. So I'm, I'm always trying to work on my, my nutrition and I'm super glad to hear that you didn't have to suffer for that, especially when you're running for nine straight days. So yeah, I, I was mean, suffering enough in other ways. It makes perfect sense. So Kip, you have your own, you're planning your own ultra coming up. It's the South River Solstice Ultra Run. Tell us about it. Yeah, so that's um basically my desperate attempt to make friends. So I've moved to Sundridge, Ontario, which is a beautiful little place of 1000 people. And I've done my best to integrate myself in the community. I volunteer coach at the high school for cross country and track, and I've joined the local fire department. But uh, despite my best efforts, I haven't met a single runner in Sundridge. Um, and basically I wanted to put on this event for a couple different reasons. One was to give back to the running community. I've invited many of the people who were pacing me on the Bruce Trail. Um, and I just wanted to kind of pay it forward a little bit and have a, have a fun time on the trails. I'm also offering a locals discount. So anyone from the region, I've offered a uh, discounted en entry fee, again, in order to meet some local runners and try to have someone to get out running with on a regular basis because it's been really difficult to put in uh, high mileage weeks when when you're doing it by yourself day after day. So the race is on June 18th. It's the closest weekend to the summer solstice. And uh, the idea of it is that we're going to run a series of approximately three to five K loops. And uh, whoever can cover the most distance between sunset and sunrise, which is about eight hours, 15 minutes, is going to be declared the winner. So again, it's going to be very grassroots. Um, and uh, the design of it is to be as low cost as possible. Uh, entry is 50 bucks, which is going to essentially, hopefully cover my costs. Uh, if not, I mean, I owe a lot to the ultra running community. And if I, if I run it at a loss, then that's, uh, that's okay too. But yeah, it, it takes place at the local high school. Um, and as I said, um, hopefully I can get some local runners involved and hopefully I can uh, give back in certain ways to the people who have helped me in the past. You are awesome, Kip. I'm super glad you're planning this event. You can count me in. It's actually two weeks after I'm running a hundred miler in Essex County, but I'm sure that's enough time to recover. It's awesome that you're that you're planning this event, and and uh, yeah, it'll it'll be great. Can I invite some of my ultra running friends? I can run it by you first. Um, uh, so this is not an invite only thing. I'd encourage anyone to check us out. Uh, the website is SouthRiverSolsticeRun.com. So registration info can be found there. Uh, and if you want to reach out, that's a good way of finding my email and we can uh, maybe go on an adventure run sometime. That's awesome. I specifically like how you're having this as a night run because running in the night is a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah, uh, running at night is great. It makes you feel really fast. Um, not a big fan of running all night after having run all day though. 
So I think just the night run is going to be that sweet spot where you get to actually enjoy it without having run for the preceding, you know, 12 hours. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's a lot more energy and just more enthusiasm about the night when you haven't run all day. Um, and so just going back to the FKT for a second, how long did it take you to fully recover from it? And how was it at least a couple weeks before you were able to walk again, Kip? Yeah, that sounds about right. I was quite uh, in quite a lot of pain for probably at least a week and my mobility was quite limited. I could walk, you know, a kilometer at a time uh, about a week and a half after that, but I gave myself an entire month off running essentially. Uh, so that helped my physical recovery. Um, mentally, I had a really tough time falling asleep for about a week. Uh, just that disruption in your sleep schedule, I would wake up, you know, really panicked halfway through the night thinking, oh no, I got to get up and I got to get moving, you know, where's my stuff? I got to get up hiking again. Uh, but eventually that subsided and I would say I'm fully recovered, if not well adjusted now. And so it was a month before you were able to run your typical pace again. I mean, I, I can't imagine. So yeah, you mentioned that a week and a half until you're able to walk okay. So were you essentially just bedridden for about a week? I mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine what that, that would have looked like. <laughs> yeah, I would um, hobble my way from the bedroom to the couch, to the kitchen, to the bathroom. Uh, luckily, we lived in a very small uh, rental unit at that point. And uh, geographically, I didn't have to cover a lot of distance to make that happen. The best part is we were uh, dog sitting a brand new puppy at the time. And my wife was away uh, working. So I got the pleasure of dealing with a rambunctious young puppy while I was uh, not very mobile or happy with the world. <laughs> well, at yeah. least the puppy must have, you know, brought your spirits up a tiny bit in terms of their energy, right? Even though you must have been just <laughs> physically and mentally <laughs> destroyed, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that up to your imagination. <laughs> okay. Well, since you Sounds mentioned good. puppies, since you mentioned puppies, Kips, I have to say that, uh, you know, if your venture here to make new friends with the South River Solstice Run doesn't work out, uh, you can always get a dog to make great running companions. Got a buddy of mine who has a, a husky named Luke, and uh, they've run uh, well past marathon distances together. So these dogs, these dogs can go. Might might be a, a good way to keep you company and give you a new dynamic to experience with the running. So we picked up. We we had an old uh, cocker spaniel, and we just picked up a, a mixed breed full size dog in the fall, and we've been doing a bit of running together. Oh, that's awesome. He's, he's still, he's still young and I don't want to push him too hard. So we keep it uh, within the, with the five, 10 K range. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. They'll, you just build them up just like a human being. Right. And uh, once they're fully grown and uh, you see how they go, right. You feed off their energy and, and how they take it. And I've got two that I run with. One is uh, definitely a race dog. The other one is more of a kind of chilled, slow pace. She can go distance, but doesn't like to go too hard. Right. So they're, they're all yeah. a little different, but it's, it's pretty fun. But Kip, man, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. We're getting to the end now. Um, I guess one final thought from you, if you can share with us, and I'll just uh, kind of prompt you with that one is, um, I guess if you could think back to what your greatest challenge was with the Bruce Trail Run and maybe what your most fond memory was, if there even is a fond memory from that. <laughs> At the time, I wouldn't have said there were very many fond memories. Uh, it was a bit of a suffer fest for the, the latter half, especially. But in preparation for this, I was uh, scrolling through all of my photos and various uh, records and videos from, from the run. And I had a big goofy smile on my face the whole time. So I think, I think the whole, whole experience was positive um, and Although I might not pursue this again specifically, I would probably do something of a similar order of magnitude. 
but I guess the thing that I would take away from it was the uh, generosity of the ultra running community. I met a lot of really cool people who would support me for, you know, hours on end um, with, but who didn't know me, who didn't owe me anything, but were doing it out of uh, an interest in my little project and the generosity of their own hearts. So I've tried my best to pay that forward. Um, I've had uh, some people reach out to me who are planning to run the Bruce Trail this summer, and I'm going to support uh, them and any future attempts that I that I reasonably can. So yes. I think it's a really cool uh, individual project, and I think uh, gaining access to that that network of people has been has been the highlight of it. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you'll have to we'll have to keep in touch uh, when you come through the uh, Dufferin County area. Uh, where the Bruce Trail runs, so I'll come meet up with you guys. Cause that's where I live, so I'm just in Shelburne. Um, so I'm out in that section, anyways, quite often. And so it's right Elias Kibriab taking on the Bruce Trail. I I know I'll be pacing him on both the weekends. Uh, so Kip, what will you be coming out to pace him as well? So I'm actually traveling for work. Oh, that's uh, right. You mentioned that. I'm but I have, uh, I've spoken with him over the phone and told him everything I know, and I will be doing my best to uh, help him network and, and hopefully beat the record, right? Because that's what this is all about. Like the record is it's just a number. And I think uh, the more people who can get involved and pursue it, the better, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pursuing the, the possibility of human evolution and achievement that's what it's all about right yeah yeah for sure all right kippo we'll close it out and uh we'll leave you with our our last uh phrase here that we leave with all our guests and that is to run wild my friend it was great to have you on and uh hope to talk to you again in the future yeah thanks for having me and i appreciate your interest and that brings us to the end of another great episode of Trail Tales ARP. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. I'm Sean Sobon. And I'm Russell the Runner. If you'd like to support the show, we'd greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review on Apple, Google, or Spotify, or wherever you get the podcast from. And we really do appreciate the time it you take to join us on every episode. Uh, you can also email us at trailtalesarp at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP. We will see you next week. See you next time. Run wild.